This episode is brought to you by The Message, a new podcast series from GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'll be following a team of elite cryptographers as they decode a highly classified radio transmission. To sum it up, extraterrestrials. The Message on iTunes. Hi, I'm Sarah Humphreys, the executive editor of Real Simple, a busy stepmother of two, and an amateur cook who loves to cook but has lots of questions. And I'm Sarah Karnasevich, the food editor of RealSimple.com, a professional cook and a working mom who tries to give you all the answers. Welcome to Things Cooks Know, the weekly podcast where the professional cook, that's Sarah Kay, shares insider advice and secrets that the busy, hungry amateur cook, that's me, can use in her own kitchen with her own family. Today we're taking a break from cooking. We've been doing a lot of cooking on this show. And, you know, okay, that is the fun part. We're talking about the not fun part today. So get ready. This is what about what happens after cooking or really more during cooking, which Mm -hmm. is cleaning up. And it's no one's favorite job, but someone's going to do it. And that someone usually ends up being you or me. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure why that is, but I think it's evolution or something. I don't know. It's terrible. Anyway, so we wanted to go through some of the kind of the most disgusting, sticky, messy, frustrating, time-consuming, elbow-grease-requiring messes. Yes. And to tell people how to do them in the least effortful way possible and how to get them up quick. Yeah, because that's the point, right? You want to spend as little time cleaning as you have to, and you want to get on with the fun part of being in the kitchen. You don't want to be resentful. Uh, uh, so, so anyway, yeah, so we wanted, so we really kind of thought about all of them and thought through our kind of kitchen nightmares and came up with 10. I don't want to give anyone the impression that uh, I'm the model of kitchen organization <laughs> or the super cleaner. Certainly there are many other staffers at Real Simple and other departments who are the true, true experts on cleaning. That is true. But I have been so grateful to learn from them and to put to use some of their tips in my own kitchen because this has been my, you know, this has been a, a long road for me. I'm not naturally an organizer person. But it really pays to to be on top of things in the kitchen. And that's just something you learn over time to get everything organized and to clean as you go and to not make things harder for yourself. My mom will be so excited to hear these words coming out of my mouth. <laughs> it is incredibly important to clean as you go. Yeah. It's like, I kind of feel like that's the only way to go. Um, but yes, we have to remind everybody that Sarah is a, Sarah Kay is a rotary corn eater and therefore <laughs> maybe not as naturally attuned to this kind of I'm stuff. I'm the whirling dervish right. school of <laughs> cooking. And I'm but. the opposite. I am. I'm kind of like born and bred. My DNA is very real simple in terms of organizing and cleaning. And I have been fortunate enough to use many of these techniques. Also, that we've you know we've we've gleaned from experts over the 15 years of having of of being at Real Simple and 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 having Real Simple as a brand. So these are the best kind of expert recommended, real life tested tips out there. Okay, cool. should we just go yeah, for let's it? Go for it. All right, let's start. We'll start with one that you know. You talk about your cast iron skillet all the time. Yeah, I'm a little obsessed, and it just stays on your on your stovetop, correct? Mm-hmm. I, I have two different sizes that are pretty much stacked on each other on my stove at all times. But there is a way to clean a cast iron skillet that you need to adhere to. Yeah, well, I think this is something that really like freaks people out and keeps them from 
using cast iron because they think it's so hard to care for. There's this like aura of danger and mystery (laughs) surrounding it, like you're going to ruin the pan. Right. Because, you know, there's this, everyone talks about the seasoning and the seasoning is really important. What I mean by that is, you know, the beauty of cast iron is that over time and with use, it builds up this patina that almost becomes like a nonstick surface. And that is the tiny little particles of, you know, basically food that you've been cooking, building up and hardening and blackening on the surface until it gets very smooth. And so the key is that that is actually valuable. So you don't want to go so crazy on the pan when you're cleaning it that you actually take that seasoning off. So for the most part, you know, you don't want to use anything really abrasive on a cast iron pan. You can do most of the cleaning you need to do with any job with warm water and a soft sponge or a towel. And then you're just wiping it out and oiling it a little bit. That actually helps seal in the seasoning and um, either setting it over a, a low flame and letting it dry off that way. That's the key. You don't want it to sit in wetness either. So you shouldn't wash it yeah. and then, you know, put it on the dish rack uh-huh. dripping wet because it will rust that way. Yeah. So you want it to be dry. I can confirm that's what will happen. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the basics. Now, there will be occasions when you have some, you know, crusty spots. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you're being told just to use warm water and a soft sponge or towel, you know, you might be shrugging and thinking like, well, okay, what am I supposed to do with this, like, you know, stuck on risotto? Yeah, exactly. And that is where your friend kosher salt comes into the picture. Okay. Basically, what you want to do is make a little paste with the warm water and the salt and just use your soft sponge to, to gently kind of rub the surface to work away at that uh, any crust that is formed and just rinse it off and then follow the same drying procedure. What happens if you do wash your cast iron skillet and leave it in the drying rack and the next time you go to use it there's like little rust spots? You you... just you kind of want to take it a step back and give it a little bit more love. So I, I would wash it again, oil it, so just like a little bit of cooking oil, you know, okay. rub it into any of those spots that seem uh, a little discolored or, um, you know, pitted or yeah. you're basically rebuilding the patina. Okay, so you're yeah. not trying to scrub off the rust no. with your kosher salt. I mean, you, you want to kind of give it a washing again, a cleaning mm-hmm. to see if you can take that down a little. But then instead, you're just building up the seasoning and oil and dryness are the two things. You want to okay. oil the pan and then let it seal and dry. Okay, I'm yeah. doing that tonight. Okay, let's talk about something that happens with baking a lot, which is, you know, you're pouring your flour into your bowl, and unless you're my mother, I'll say her name again, and you have a piece of wax paper on the countertop to collect all the excess. Uh-huh, which is a very, very it's smart really thing to do. It's a really great system, but I usually don't do it. And the flour gets spilled all over the countertop. Or you've been rolling out a pie crust, right? And mm-hmm. you've got your excess flour on the countertop, and then you take your sponge with your hot water and you start trying to wipe up, wipe up the flour, and the flour just becomes incredibly gummy and stubborn and, like, glues to the countertop. Well, I, there, there's two things that you should do. The first one being get as much of the flour off of your counter while it's dry that you can. because So that means, I mean, you can brush it off with a little 
broom or sweep it up with your hand into a dustbin or something like that and get rid of it that way. Then whatever is left on the counter, you want to use a cool, damp cloth. And But the idea being the first part is the less like mounds of flour there is, you're not then attacking it with a wet rag or a wet sponge and basically making glue. Right, exactly. So so you you want as little flour as possible. And then, you know, the, the cool rag, I feel like it just is a little, will glue it together a little bit less than the hot water will. But the best thing you can do is not to allow the glue to happen in the first right. place. That makes complete sense. Okay, number three. Maple syrup spills. Never have those in our house. Never, never, never ever. ever. Didn't happen this morning with pancakes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's such a nightmare. Love pancakes. Hate the maple syrup drops. When will someone invent a maple syrup bottle that is a no-mess pourer? Yeah. Like, and, what is the problem? And also, like, is it possible to get a cap on and off a maple syrup bottle without like, having to run it under hot water yeah. and, like, like, wrench your shoulder because it's <laughs> stuck? It's a huge problem. But the spills are a big problem. So while it's still liquid, something you can do, which is sort of the flip side of the thing I just told you not to do, is pour some flour on it. Mm. Because then instead of having this amorphous kind of puddle that is spreading all over the place, the flour will turn it into more of a paste, make it stay still. (laughs) And then you can um, more easily just kind of scoop it up with a spatula or something like that. Yeah, or like a butter knife or something. Yeah. Or same idea. If you don't want to use flour, you could use salt. But the idea being that you're turning it from more of a liquid consistency into a solid. Okay, great. So this is such an annoying one. The plastic storage containers that we all use all the time. Yeah. And they just, after like one time of holding something tomato-y especially, they get completely discolored. They kind of get that gross oily feeling to them. And you kind of just decide, uh, you know, you either choose to ignore it and just continue to be disgusted or you decide to do something about it. There's a couple really simple things that should help. The first one being that this isn't even a cleaning thing, but just open the containers so you know so they're not closed up with their lids on and if you have a really nice sunny day just put them outside in the air and in the sun to to let the sun kind of bleach some of those stains away and that will help if that doesn't get you where you want to go you have a couple other options lemon juice is really good lemon juice is such a like a miracle worker exactly so that's going to cut through some of those really stubborn spots and another all-star cleaner, baking soda. That will also help you if you have those sort of discolored stains that will bleach some of it out of the plastic. And as a bonus, it also, it's odor absorbing. So it'll take any right, kind of like icky, smell rank. weird smells out of there. I know that some experts would just say use plastic containers. I mean, I'm use glass containers. Mm-hmm. Which I get. I think that in theory that is a fabulous idea. I think in reality when you're sending them to school with kids, it's not so great. Yeah, and the truth is – so I've been transitioning to kind of more glass containers in our house. And it does make things – you don't – this is not an issue so much. And it's great for all – so many other reasons, ecological and health-wise. But the truth is that most of those 
containers still have plastic lids. Oh, yeah, right. Um, So you still deal with some of this stuff. Yeah, okay. This is another one that doesn't happen that often, but is is a problem for sure when it does, which is milk scum. Yeah, and actually this this is one that in my house happens a lot. Well, that's right, because you're always doing your frothing, right? My morning coffee, well, my husband and I are like, this is one of our really anal retentive morning ritual things, which is we like to have warm milk in our coffee. So we're really not high maintenance people, I swear. But this is one of those things that, um, you know, just makes a difference. So we're always warming up milk in these little warmer pots. And yet, at the same time, this is also a vestige of our life pre-kids. Okay. So let's just say that. You're clinging to it. Yeah. And because the reason we always have these milk scum <laughs> problems is that, oh, we're up, we're making our coffee. Oh, someone put the milk on to warm, so nice and calm. And then Sam, you know, poops on the hallway floor or something and someone has to go clean it up and all of a sudden there's this hissing sound and the milk is boiling over and it's all over the stove (laughs) so you know it happens it happens a lot and so what's the solution well two things I find if it's on your stove the key seems to be for me that you get to it fast so like don't wait for it to get really crusted on so I always <laughs> there's a fine line you have to wait long enough so that you can touch the stove right, without burning right. yourself but then just go at it with like a really warm cloth while it's still damp but if it is already adhered on if it's in a pot so if it's a pot you're cleaning rather than the stove you want to fill it with warm water and again either a little baking soda or another like powdered those abrasive cleaners yeah kind cleanser of. like um bonami is one that i always have that works and you actually want to heat it again so you want to like bring it up to almost a, a simmer a- until the milk loosens i would say that a lot of these are actually like just back up and do the same thing that happened yeah like, kind of like to, reverse course right reverse yeah. course and it will it will self-correct yeah okay so we just talked a little bit about stovetop splatters with with your milk with and Sam. Yeah. <laughs> of course, Sam. Poor Morning Sam. coffee and potty training. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I want to talk a little bit more about stovetop splatters of all kinds. I mean, such a nightmare. And especially, you're right, when the stove's still working, you know, yeah. like you you do some splattering and then you're you're still cooking for a while. So you're just kind of watching it. You're watching it start to adhere itself. But what should you do with it, especially when it's, if you, whatever, after you've wiped up whatever you can wipe up? I think, you know, you go back, again, I'm going to go back to baking soda and water. You kind of make a paste and you put that on whatever the residue is that's left over and let it sit for a few minutes and then wipe that away with a damp towel. And and if you've already gone in once the spill is fresh and done kind of like a first pass at it, that baking soda method should take away most of okay. it in the okay. second one. All right, so we've got a few more to go, but first let's take a break and hear from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by The Message, a new podcast series from GE Podcast Theater. Hi, Nikki Tomlin here, and I'm the host of The Message. I'm going to take you into an elite cryptography think tank and check it out. Their top project right now is to decode a highly classified radio transmission from the 1940s. Have you listened to it yet? 
Not yet. Uh, we're having a discussion about that. But if I offered you the chance to listen to it right now... Uh, sounds like a no. Well, we don't really know what this is. Voices. Music. Breathing. But, you know, I'm not going to mess with that thing. To sum it up... Extraterrestrials. Subscribe to The Message on iTunes. So this happens a lot to us at Uh home every morning, pretty much, which is cooked on egg. And that could mean in the pan, Mm -hmm. or it could mean on the side of the pan. Or on the plate. Um, Or on the plate. Oh, God, on the plate. So what do you do when you've got this kind of, like, really... Well, you know, I mean, I think... The usual technique is just a soaking, right, to, like, loosen it. And that will get you part of the way. And certainly with a plate, that's a good strategy. If we're talking about the skillet, you know, there really is a pattern to these things, like you said. This is another case where if you add some water to the skillet and put it back on the stove for a minute, so let it heat up with the water in it, that the heating of the pan will loosen the egg that's stuck to it and will let you wipe it out without, like, really giving yourself an arm injury. Okay. Small one. Mm-hmm. But more about w- with prep time as opposed to cooking time, which is your grating cheese. Okay. You know, I think you can take, like, a sponge and really go go at it. But when you've got that really kind of very, very, very soft cheese... I'll share this one because we've done it and we've it, it's like a classic real simple tip. Okay. I think it ran in like one of the first <laughs> issues, which is to prevent this from happening in the first place, you just need to take one of those like cooking sprays and just like do a, a light, Pam or like something a Pam, like, yeah. like a light spray over the grater itself before you even start grating and then once you start grating, your cheese isn't going to stick to every crust. Oh, I in love that. Granny. So it's super easy and especially I think if you're grating a lot of cheese and you just don't want to deal. Okay. Number 9. Grease on walls. Oh, okay. Now, speaking of kind of like this is another one. cooking, yeah. I mean, I'm not sure how much. I guess when you, when you put something in oil, you do get some grease on walls. But what do we do? Well, I think you want to look for like a spray, all-purpose cleaner. But the key is that you want one that says degreaser on it. So you want something that's going to cut through that grease. And I mean, the only caveat to that is that that'll work really well on glossy or a semi-gloss paint mm-hmm. on your wall. If if you have like more of a matte finish on your paint, yeah. it's really hard. I, I mean, that's, that's usually that's why like... in kitchens they tell you not to do that. Yeah, the life lesson. Um, just because that will absorb like every little grease spot that you throw at it. And it's not as, you know, it's not as receptive to cleaners like that. You will You will see some marks if you use something on the harsher end of the cleaning spectrum. But otherwise, if you if you have the appropriate kind of paint, you know, a household cleaner that is grease cutting should work. And you should do it every time because mm-hmm. I think that's the problem too. Yeah. It's, so it's, you it's don't, the buildup. You wake up, one, it's like all of a sudden like you wake up one day yeah. or like standing in front of your stove and you're like, Wait, yeah. what? When did, it didn't just happen overnight, Completely. but you're just noticing it's it. It's like yeah. soap scum. Like you yeah. got you to keep at it. Okay. And then finally, baking sheets. This is a really random one. This is this falls in the category of like we don't have any idea why it works. Yeah, this is something I did not know about before I was indoctrinated into <laughs> the world of real simple. It's an it's a it's a class it's another classic real simple solution that 
I could not, don't ask me to tell you why it works. Yeah, but, but it's awesome. It's really good. So when your baking sheets have all that, I mean, if you're not using parchment paper, yeah. when they have that like baked on cookie or baked on whatever, that's like impossible. The layers and layers, yeah. Completely. It's like, you know, impossible to get off. What you do is you put your baking sheet in the sink. You put a dryer sheet in there. Like the little like a bounce, bounce sheet. thing that yeah. you yeah put and in the then laundry. you fill it with warm water and you just let it sit overnight. So you're soaking it with the dryer, dryer sheet, sheet in, in it. it. Okay, exactly. And you just leave it overnight, and you come back the next morning and you just wipe it down with a sponge. It's done, and it just comes out. Yes, same thing for like baked on for in pans or or, or like a casserole like or yeah. something like same that. Same thing. Yeah. You leave it on the stove. Just put the dryer sheet in it, fill it with water, leave it overnight. Oh so that, we're going to change case, lives with this. I know. I love that one. That's one of my favorites. So. We'll end this segment with another safe space question and answer session. Again, no question is too stupid for things cooks know. <laughs> so <laughs> please tweet them to us and let us know if you have any. This one is is a classic. And I know there are a lot of different ways to do this. So I would love to know from Sarah Kay what the right answer is as well, which is how do you bake a potato? Okay. Well, you have some options. And I do think that this is something that everyone should feel comfortable doing because if you have a potato in your house, you can have dinner um, no matter what. You know, you can fill it with all kinds of things or dress it up. And it's just, it's cheap. It's filling. It will make you feel good. And it is so easy to do. So here are your options. Um, I think at the simplest level, you can cook it in the oven, the oven-baked potato, or you can cook it in the microwave. You'll get... Um, different results depending on how you do it. So if you're using your oven, you are cranking your oven to about 425 degrees. Um, If you want a baked potato with a crispy skin, you're not going to wrap it in foil or anything like that. You're just going to maybe rub it with a little bit of olive oil and prick them with a fork and sprinkle a little salt on them or you can save that for after and then you put them right on your oven rack or a baking sheet and you're going to cook them until the skin is crispy and you can get a fork in there smoothly so Mm -hmm. it's it's not like it doesn't feel hard on the inside anymore and that's generally going to take between 45 and 55 minutes i would say but that will give you a nice crispy jacketed potato with a soft creamy interior. Now, if you want a soft skin, you're going to do the same thing, but you're going to wrap it in foil. Okay. Why would you ever want that? I don't know. It's, okay. You know, we can't decide these things for people. <laughs> we just want to give people options. Yeah. The microwave. So this is great. It's faster. But you're there's no way to do this with the crispy skin. Right. So that's the bad off. news. Yeah. But here's what you're going to do. You're going to, again, a little bit of olive oil, maybe a little bit of salt and pepper, prick, prick, prick all over with the fork. You put them on a dish. You microwave them on high for five minutes. Then you're going to flip them just so it's sort of Mm -hmm. even. Do it for another maybe three to five minutes. Then you're going to keep checking them every minute or so to just see when the center is soft. So five minutes, flip. Another three to five minutes, check. And if it's still not soft in the middle, add another minute of cooking time like that until it is soft. Okay, super easy. There you go. Now you can make a potato. Great. I can't wait. So thank you so much for joining us today for Things Cooks Know. We'd like to thank our producer, Tim Einenkow. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe on iTunes and leave us comments there as well. We'd love to read them. 
For a million more great cooking tips and cleaning tips, head to realsimple.com. And if you have topics you'd like us to cover next time or any safe space questions, you can tweet them to us at Sarah P. Humphreys or at SQ Karn. We'll be back next week. <laughs>